Good morning, guys. Glad to be with you. One of the things that we're really committed to here is raising up people who are involved actively in doing the work of ministry. And we want to be intentional about equipping people to do that. And we do it together. It happens when we're together. That's that's what scripture indicates. So one of the ways that we do that is offering a series of courses. And one of them that I'm going to be leading starting this coming Tuesday is called Fruitful Giftedness. And actually, this, today is the last day to sign up for this course, just so you know. Uh, I like what James A. Stewart, this is not the actor Jimmy Stewart, right? This is a different Stewart, says this. The Holy Spirit does not rent out his attributes. His power is never separated from his glorious self. And when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, self-control, you know, all those things you find in Galatians 5, that is his heart, that is his nature, that is his character, which he supernaturally imparts, gives to us, so that when we minister to other people out of the fruit of the Spirit or the gifts of the Spirit, that could even be anything from mercy to helps to tongues to prophecy, word of knowledge, whatever it may be, they come together, they do it together. I like also uh, what J.I. Packer, famous theologian, says, among the variety of God's gifts, some are natural abilities and character qualities sanctified, while others correspond to nothing that was previously seen in the person's life. That is the supernatural working of signs and wonders and miracles. And so what we do in this class, we talk about it, we teach about it, and then we pray for each other so we do activation. So you're not listening to a two-hour lecture, but we actually do this thing together. We actually pray for each other together. Because I believe otherwise, what we begin to believe is that Christianity is a theory. And it is not. It is something that is actually activated. We actually do that by blessing other people, and we'll practice that in the class. So today is the last day to sign up for Tuesdays, starting this Tuesday. Cost is $20. If you can't afford that, we do scholarship people. In fact, we're already scholarshiping a couple people. We'd be glad to do that for you if you uh, find yourself in that situation. So uh, just sharing that with you, a way that we like to equip people to be involved in extending the kingdom of God. And God does that through us. Crazy, huh? They'd actually do it through us, but he does. Um, so, hey, we're continuing in our series in John, and we are in John uh, chapter 3, looking at verses 22 to 36. And I, I want to talk about receiving what heaven gives. Receiving what heaven gives. And I'm using that phrase because twice in this passage, it talks about what heaven's giving. Heaven is just synonymous for the word God. Jews at some times, uh, in the Gospel of Matthew does this consistently, talks about the kingdom of heaven instead of the kingdom of God. But heaven and God are synonymous virtually when Jews are speaking about what God is doing. And so that phrase is used in this passage a couple times. Receiving a gift, receiving something that we haven't earned. So how do, you, how do you shop for gifts, whether it be Christmas or someone's birthday? How do you make the decision about what you're going to get for somebody? I mean, you know, getting your spouse a Weight Watchers membership may not be the best idea. <laughs> Buying your wife a cookbook may not be a great idea. You know, if you're lazy like me, sometimes you go on Amazon wish list. And if you can have access to that person's wish list, you can go ahead and take a look. But sometimes I look at that and say, really, they want that? I, can't, I cannot buy that for Are you crazy? Are they nuts? What are they doing asking for this? Why, why is that? Because we come with a value system. When we're going to buy something, we want to buy something that we would want to receive. <laughs> We'd want to buy something that we think that they should have, right? 
So it comes through our grid, through our, our value system. And, and, and buying an Amazon gift card, which I've been guilty of doing more than one time for somebody, is okay, but it's not terribly personal. And God is always personal. God is always personal. And as we look at this passage and we break it down, here's kind of an outline of what the passage looks like. First, what we do is we set the stage in these first verses, which I'm about to read to you. Then we look at who John is. Then we look at who Jesus is. And then we look at who we are. And that's kind of how, how I outline the, the passage. And as we look at this, let me just read to you these first uh, verses, 22 through 26. It says this, that after Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now, John also was baptizing at Non near Salim because there was plenty of water and the people were coming and being baptized. This was before John was put in prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who is with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one who you testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. Notice verse 22 says that they, they're leaving Jerusalem, they're going out to the countryside, and it says, he took time with them. And actually, that, that isn't just a little, but it's considerable. He took time with them. As you go through life and as you get older, one of the things that you discover is the most valuable thing that you have is time. And so God has taken the most valuable thing and he says, I want to give that to you. I, I, I want to do that with you. I have time for you. The question is not whether God has time for you. He does. And you know where I'm going. The question is, do you have time for him? Let's pray together. Lord, we bless you, maker of heaven and earth. You who flung the stars into the sky and laid the foundation of the earth wants to be with us. He wants to hang out with you. And he's made time. He's created time to be with you. And so, Lord, deliver us from the insanity of our culture and its pacing and the dictatorial tyrant that we call a phone that runs us. And Holy Spirit, now in this time, Come and speak to your people by your word and by your spirit, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So in, in this opening section where we kind of set the stage, what, what has happened is, is that John the Baptist, in fact, was by the Jericho, uh, the Jordan River by Jericho. And what he's done is he's moved north. Anon there is spring or double spring 
is what that word means, and he's gone to a place where there's water further north, and it's way up actually in the Galilee area, an area that he doesn't normally go to. And the reason that I think he did that was a spiritual strategy because Jesus has left the chaos of Jerusalem and has gone straight across from Jericho to the Jordan River, where the south, where, where in fact John the Baptist had been. And John knows that he needs to create room here. And so he goes up north. And it says he goes to a place where there's a lot of water. Why would we have that in in this passage? Because the the Jordan River flows according to rainfall. So when the Mount Hermon, when the snows of Mount Hermon, the only place, by the way, practically in the Middle East where you can actually ski, and I've been on those ski slopes, that when in the springtime, when the snow begins to melt, the Jordan gets gets flush with with water. So much so that if you remember when Israel was crossing the Jordan, River, it's, uh, and Joshua is leading them early in the, in the book of Joshua, it says that it was at flood stage. That means it's spring. And, and so what God did, he deliberately picked the most difficult time of the year for Israel to cross the Jordan River when it's at flood stage. <laughs> God has a great sense of humor, huh? I'm going to show you how absolutely impossible this is. I'm giving you the worst time of year to make this happen, and I'm going to stop everything. But now they're having to look a little bit for water, which means this is probably late summer. The, the ice would have melted, the waters would have gone down, and probably sometime in late summer is when, when this happened. That's how I, I would look at this in any case. And it says that an argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. So, so get this, they're baptizing, so they're cleansing, they're washing people with water, and this guy wants to come debate over ceremonial washing. And it's always interesting, whenever there is a move of God that is absolutely certain that this is what God is doing, it's powerful inspired, etc., like John's baptism, when that is occurring, occurring, you can guarantee that there will be opposition. There will be opposition from outside, and there will be internal confusion. Both of those usually go on. In Nehemiah's ministry, he's building a wall. That's exactly what happens. And you can guarantee it. If God is moving in your life and ministry, you will have opposition. It will happen. So he's experiencing it, it, it right now. So they come to him, verse 26, and say to him, so that is the external opposition. Now the internal confusion is John's disciples come to him and say, you know that guy, they can't even name Jesus yet. We don't know if they don't know him well enough yet, can't remember his name, whatever it is. But you know that dude, that guy that you're hanging out with on the other side of the Jordan? Everyone is going to him and being baptized. And it's like they're, they're upset about this. They're like they're taking offense for him. They're trying to protect their leader, John. I had, uh, was senior pastor of a church, and it was about less than a year in, into my, my pastorate. And the former youth pastor who had been out of town and I had never met, came back into town, decided that he was going to set up a church about 100 yards away from where we were. And it was so close that, that on Sunday morning, his wireless mic could be heard on our sound system so that when we were doing worship service, his voice came in, into our sound system. That's how, how close he was. Well, I had some people who took offense at that, probably for my sake, and were a little uh, upset. And so they came as a lynch mob with some rope suggesting that I go pay that other pastor a visit for what he had done. Look what he's doing. He's treading on our territory. See, he's moved in. He's trying to take over your ministry, pastor. You need to do something about that. In one of those rare moments in my ministry where I've had a little wisdom, uh, uh, Acts 5 came to mind where, where I remember that the great leader, Jewish leader Gamaliel, spoke to the Jewish a council, the Sanhedrin, and said to them about the disciples that were doing such an incredible job that, that don't try to fight these guys, because if it's of God, you can't stop them anyway. And if it's not of God, 
it will evaporate. It'll go away, right? And, and so that came to me, and, and, and I, I shared that with this lynch mob, and they kind of all went off home very disappointed that I hadn't drew, drawn blood or something. And, and instead of lynching the, the former youth pastor, I took him out to lunch. And six months later, his church had folded. We don't fight for any territory that is ours because we have no territory that is ours. We don't have a church. Jesus has a church. We don't have a ministry. Jesus has a ministry. And if we line up with what he's doing and what he's saying, he blesses incredibly. And he'll do the things that he's doing that, that pleases his heart. And, and that's what we want to follow. That's what we want to be involved in. And, and it says, by the way, that that, that guy, that, that he is baptizing. But actually, if you look at the next chapter, chapter 4, verse 2, you'll, you'll see that actually Jesus was not baptizing anybody. His disciples are. Why is that? Because when the resurrected Christ is, in fact, resurrected and they're spending time with him and that they recognize that this is God incarnate. This is God in the flesh. And it really finally comes across to them. Anyone who has baptized him is going to be absolutely incorrigible because they're going to be walking around saying, well, I was baptized by God. I'm not sure about you guys, but you know, everyone who's baptized by Jesus is now in a different class system because we're the ones who are baptized by God and you poor folk. Well, and so Jesus doesn't baptize anybody. Because we're not territorial. We're not fighting for, for, for territory of what we think is ours. But the conversation that John is now going to have in this next verses with disciples is critically important because they need to catch that what he is doing in his baptism, in his ministry, is preparation for the one who is coming and has now come, in fact. And, and as he's baptizing that people would move in, would repent and get ready for the kingdom of God. Jesus is coming in and baptizing because the kingdom of God has broken in. It is here. We step into it. We do it. And by the way, that is still true today. That's why we want to activate people in ministry. We want them to move into what God is doing today. And John was trying to point them there. So who is John? This is the next section. He says, let me explain. Let me remind you, my disciples, who I am. So you get this right. He says, a person can only receive what is given to them by heaven. And that, that word given, that verb is actually something that was given in the past that has continuing impact today, and it's continuous. It's what we call the continuous present. It just keeps going. So it's given, and it just keeps on giving. It never stops giving. It says, this is the kind of giving that, that, that we're talking about. I remember uh, in... in Paul trying to work with the Corinthian church who was rather full of themselves and believed that, that all ministry fell and rose on them and they were the answer uh, to the whole world for all their problems. He writes to them at a 1 Corinthians 4, 7 and says, for who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did, uh, if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Anything that we have in life and in ministry that is worth anything was given to us. We did not create it. We don't manufacture it. We don't import it or export it. We receive it and then we give it away. And by the way, this is the wild thing. In giving it away, it grows. In giving it away, it expands. In giving away, that's where you find where joy is and where life is. So just let me make several statements about, about this and what, what, what I see here. Only God decides what is given, yet we're encouraged to ask boldly. Why? Because in the asking, God is forming a relationship. In the asking, God knows that now we're talking and hopefully listening to him better yet. 
And so he wants us to ask because he wants that as part of the relationship. It's one of the ways he's hoping that we'll actually come and speak to him and listen to his heart. But you can only give away what you receive from God. And if you're not asking and if you're not pursuing him and wanting to know his heart, how are you going to receive anything? The amount you give away depends on the degree of trust you have in the giver. The amount that you give away. Because, see, if I give it away, then I'm losing. If I, if I give it away, uh, I'm going to be at loss. If, if I give it away, I'm going to be bereft of something. If I give it away, it's going to make me less somehow, not understanding that it's actually in the giving away that it multiplies. Because it shows that we actually trust him. Because he has more. He always has more. He always has more. He has an abundance. And lastly, the amount that you receive from God depends on the depth of your hunger for God himself and not what he's given. Do you really want him? When you get that, it changes everything. We need to learn and hunger for him. And John says, this is what it's like. It's like a wedding. And I'm a friend of the bridegroom. I'm the one who helps make this thing happen. I make the connection. I'm the bridge into the new age, the new generation, the, the kingdom that, that is breaking in. That, that's what I'm about. What does the best man do? I don't know how many weddings I've done. I, I haven't counted, but I've done a lot of them. <laughs> I, I always watch what happens with a wedding party because there's lots of interesting, exciting things happening, some of it good. And, and one of the things is the best man is, is at the service of the groom. And I know with the ladies it happens as well. Anything that the bride or groom want that day, we're here to help make that happen. We're here to bless that. That's how, that's how it should be anyway, that we're really here to bless this guy completely. We're, we're here, it says, to attend. What that means is to serve. And th- there's a process that, that, that happens in that. There's a series of, 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 of steps that we have that because we serve, it says that we wait, we listen for him coming, and then we have joy. And if you look at that, that process, those, those steps, we should have a slide for that, guys, a slide to show you that. That shows actually our purpose in life and what that, what that leads to. Because we serve, we wait. Because those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength, right? And as we wait, that means we have been forced or we've chosen to slow down. And our hearing is always better when we slow down. We listen. And if we do that, it leads to joy. Why? What has happened? Because he is aligning us with his purposes and his will, with his nature and his character. He's bringing us out of our selfishness and our, our, our being self-consumed and our struggles and all the things that, that, that we have helped create misery in, in our life. He brings us out of that into his perspective in being aligned with him. And one of the, the chief ways that that happens and where it happens is, is right here. 
So we're going to pray something right now in the middle of this. Would you stand with me for just a moment? We're going to pray something right now for just a moment, and then I'll let you get seated again. So it, it was interesting as we prayed before the service began, our sound man, <laughs> our sound dude, ha ha had a, an impression that one of our struggles is right here where there's like a, a black wall or a black thing that prevents us and really struggles with, with experiencing and connecting God. And so we just want to take a moment to pray on that and to blow that. That is, I want God to blow that up. Ephesians 2 says, there is a, Christ has come and broken the barrier or the dividing wall of hostility that keeps us from being connected to God and receiving the work that he's done for us. And that's what we're going to pray about. Let's take a moment. Let's pray. I thank you, Lord God, that when you said it is finished, you spoke truth, finality, completeness. There's nothing that we can do to add or take away from your saving work that you have done for us. And we want to apply that now for our lives today. And so we come to you, Lord, repenting for any way that we have perhaps brick by brick, intentionally or unintentionally, allowed a wall of division of hostility between us and you, where we have st stood back and we have judged and condemned and been disappointed in you. Whatever it has been, Lord, we repent of that now in Jesus' name and ask that in your great mercy that that dividing wall, that thing in our head that keeps us from trusting you, from receiving you, from loving you fully as we should, we repent of in Jesus' name right now. Right now. And I wonder if you would just bear with me and we want to do like a prophetic act together. And this is part of the image that was given. It's like we're blowing that thing down right? Blowing. So would you, would, would you, in the middle of this prayer, just with me, one, two, three, we're going to just blow out, all right? Ready? One, two, three. And I, Lord, I pray, Lord, by faith that you would take that action and speak to our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus right now and dismantle that wall. Repent of any way that we help build that wall. Repent of the things that we've allowed, the things we've done or not done that have allowed that to be built. We repent of it in Jesus' name. And one more time, we're going to blow out. Ready? One, two, three. <sighs> Dismantle that. Just dissolve that in Jesus' name. And as you do that, instead that you provide a flat level place that gives us free access to the throne of grace, that there's no obstacles. There's no obstacles. He is covered. He's taken care of it for you. And so, Lord, we have the freedom and access to walk to your throne of grace. And we do that now in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You may be seated. So what happens when you've stepped into joy because you've heard his voice, that you actually can listen to him because you've waited on him and because you've been serving him, you now enter into that joy. What are you able to say? You're able to say this, he must increase and I must decrease. He must increase and I must decrease. That, that is to say, you know what? I'm not building a following for myself. I'm building a following for Jesus. That everything I'm doing is, is seeking to bring him glory, to, to exalt his name. That's what I want to do. Why? Because that's where joy is found. <laughs> you, you see, the, the constant effort to take care of ourselves and to medicate and to be consumed and selfish, etc., is a prescription for misery. 
Instead, the road to joy is saying, may he increase. You see, you don't even need to worry about the decreasing part. All you need to say is Jesus increase. Jesus increase. Would you say that with me? Jesus increase. One more time. Jesus increase. And what happens as we pray that and we pray that sincerely and as he does, he begins to come and expand in our life and spread out into our life. And as we've invited him deliberately to step into areas of our life that we've kept the door shut on, he won't kick it in. But he asks you to open it so he can step in. And as he does that, he increases. And as he increases, you don't need to worry about the decrease. It'll happen already. So we pray for increase. We pray for increase. And so what, what happens in this passage, we now come to, to the transition verse. So another way I divide up this passage looks like this. That, that we have John the Baptist is at the end of an old age, the passage we've just looked at. We're transitioning into Jesus' ministry where he's increasing and we're decreasing. And the next section is Jesus' ministry is the beginning of the new age, of the kingdom breaking in in fullness. And so the, the passage begins like this. So who is Jesus is this next section. Who Jesus is, verses 31 through 35. Who Jesus is. I'm going to repeat, you will never know who you are until you know who Jesus is. All you'll know is your false self, your broken self, your sinful self. All you know is your limitations, but you'll never know who you are unless you know who Jesus is. So how does that happen? And so verse 31 says, the one who comes from above all, by the way, if some of you have a red letter Bible, you'll notice this is not red letter. And so there's interpretation about whether this is John the Baptist speaking, if this is John the Arthur, the gospel uh, author writing this and saying this, there's a debate as to who's saying that. It doesn't matter. It's inspired. It's good. Yeah. Okay? So the one from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. So what he's doing, he's declaring the supremacy of Christ over all things, that all prophecy is fulfilled in him. Everything comes to completionism in him. What he speaks, what he says is the language of heaven. What does the language of heaven sound like? It sounds like love. And so if you're feeling judged and condemned and desperate and everything, that's not God. That's evil speaking to you. You see, condemnation is always general. It hits everything. Conviction, which is what the Holy Spirit brings, is very specific. Note the difference between the two things. And so what he's speaking and speaking life, he's speaking the language of heaven. So what language do we speak in California? Well, we speak Spanglish, of course, right? Don't we speak Spanglish here in, in, in California? I, I think we do. You know, uh, growing up in different places, I, I learned kind of the way that, I learned uh, how to learn languages, and I, I, I learned some languages, some of them well, and some of them not so well. But one of the things I, I noted is in almost every country, let me just take Kenya, where Sue and I were for a number of years, that in Nairobi, the capital, a lot of people speak English. Why? English is the legal language because it was a former British colony. So most people who judges, court system lawyers, they'll speak English. Most big businesses, they'll be spelled English because it is the legal, legal language. The trade language that is spoken more widely all around the country pretty much is Swahili. Swahili is a mixture of Arabic and some other African dialects. But as you get further and further out from Nairobi into the more rural areas, you're going to encounter people who not only do not speak English, they don't even speak Swahili very well. They'll speak their mother tongue. 
Kikuyu, Luau, Luya, what, just depends on, on what tribe they're from. But what is key is what, what is their heart language. Their mother tongue is their heart language. So what is your heart language? What's your heart language? As soon as I discover somebody's heart language and they're reading scripture, I said, read it in your heart language because it makes a whole difference. So what is your heart language? Is it the language of heaven? And if so, it's going to sound a lot like love. He says, the one who comes from above doesn't speak as the earth speaks, because all we do is we trash each other. What he comes and he speaks something completely different. What he speaks is life-giving. What he speaks is transformative. What, what he speaks is love. In verse 32, he testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. And we're kind of of a difficulty here because it says no one accepts his testimony, that's difficult, but here's the thing. In verse 26, he says everyone is going to him to be baptized, right? But verse 32 says, but no one. So how do we go from everyone to no one? <laughs> and verse 33 has part of the answer. It says, whoever, whoever has accepted it, what God says, has certified that God is truthful. Certified means to authenticate. I know this thing is real. This thing is legit. That's what that means. It's legit. So uh, Sue was, was shopping in Costco. She uh, was going to order a cake for a birthday party. This is just recently. And so she closes her purse. And, and you know the straps you can use for kids or babies on those cards? She strapped her purse in really good. And she turned for just a minute to fill this form out. And she turned around and reached in, and her purse is open, and her wallet's gone. She immediately starts getting fraud alerts because a person ran over to Walmart and started spending thousands of dollars on buying gift cards. I know some of you have had this happen to you. So her phone is going crazy. You know, her phone is exploding from all these credit card companies. And, and she's madly looking around, thinking something, you know, where do, what happened, what happened, et cetera. So... She gets home and, of course, has to make all these phone calls. It takes days of making phone calls, trying to track everything down and clean up and talk to different people in different fraud departments. And she's talking to people in fraud departments. She says, yeah, they took everything. I mean, they took my, my California driver's license. I mean, they took everything. And they're filling out the form, and the lady on the phone says, okay, well, just, just you know, send me your photo ID. They stole my photo ID, you know? And every conversation was just like this, you know? They're, they're talking to you, send your photo. They stole my photo. I have no ID. I have I, identity theft, right? I no longer know who I am. They stole everything. They took, they took it all, right? So now what do I do? How, how do I authenticate who I am? How do I prove who I am? Kind of scary, right? Some of you have been through this type of thing before. I mean, how, how do I prove to somebody else? that I, I need a piece of plastic to prove who I am? And he's saying here, the way that you know who you are 
is through him. He authenticates. What he says, what he does, who he is, is the one that gives you identity. He's the one who shows you that. And, and a further insight on who he is, verse 34, for the one whom God has sent speaks the word of God, for God gives the spirit without limit. You are to look for the one that John has baptized and whom the spirit never lifts off of him. It is always on him. He is the one who shows you the truthfulness of God. He is the one, uh, and Jews would believe that the Holy Spirit was the measure of all prophecy. And so the fact that Jesus is, always has the spirit on him means that he is the anointed one because the spirit of prophecy is on him. It's an immeasurable gift that corresponds to his ability to be full revelation, to give us revelation and to be revelation to, to the world. That's the idea that, that's trying to be conveyed here. Because the father, verse 35, loves the son and has placed everything in his hands. Because he loves us, he wants to give us what he gave the son. And so here is the son who is receiver of the spirit given by the Father to act with all authority and with all revelation to bring the inbreaking of the kingdom, which is salvation for us. And through all of those things that we discover identity, not through a piece of plastic. And it tells us who we are. And so that's the last section, who we are, how we discover who we are. You know what? I encounter people all the time who don't like who they are. They don't like who they are. So they can go have a facelift. Maybe they're using HGH, you know, human, grown, human growth hormone. It's going to make me younger, more youthful, more viral. It's going to make, make me really great. Having horrible side effects, of course. We're using AI to imitate reality. And AI is fantastic in some ways, but AI, artificial intelligence, but it's scary in a whole lot of other ways. I don't have time to go into that, but I'm sure you guys are reading about that. But we do all manner of things to improve who we are or to discover who we are. He says, you'll find that in me. Jesus says, you'll find that in me. You'll be at peace with who you are. In, in me. So in this passage, I just want to list a whole set of things that this passage kind of points out what heaven gives to us. So heaven gives and we receive. And if we're willing to be in that posture that we'll receive from him, he'll give abundantly. He delights to, to do that. He gives us our identity. He tells us who we are. Heaven gives the son who is above all. He is not equal to anyone. John the Baptist wants to make that clear to his disciples. Heaven gives the son who brings the word because he is the word. He is the eternal word, the never ending word. He speaks that word that transforms us. He is, heaven gives the son who has a spirit without limit and therefore he's able to give it to us generously if we want to receive it. Heaven gives the son who is loved by the father and wants us to step into that family relationship, wants us to step into that, that love. We receive what heaven gives. We have a choice to do that. We have a choice to step in to what heaven wants to do, even today, even this morning. Because 30, 36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. In other words, people who reject Jesus have decided to separate themselves from God. It's not something that God does to you. It's something you do to yourself. It begins that way, that we separate ourselves out from God by deciding that we're going to go our own way and I do our own thing. And the revelation that is brought is not strictly speaking by the 
Son, as though it originated with him, but it is through the Father that the Son brings revelation. And he wants to communicate that to us as well. And this uniqueness, this Son is so completely unique because he possesses the Spirit without limit. He is an expression of God's love to us. He comes in perfection and gives us our identity. And so just to complete the story, so Sue's trying to prove who she is. She's talking to all these people on the phone who, I mean, you're probably a fraud too, right? You're probably trying to work me, the insurance companies or the credit card companies are thinking, you're probably trying to work me to get information so you can steal more for all they know, right? So you need to prove to me who you are. And she remembers, "Ah, I've got a passport. I have a photo ID. I have a passport. What do you know? So she goes, and of course, she copies her her, her passport, and she sends it to all the people that she needed to. And in doing that, what is a passport? A passport is a document that the government says that you are a citizen, that you belong, and that you have some rights. And those rights, should you travel overseas and get yourself into trouble, you can actually go to an embassy and hopefully they're going to help you and get you out of your trouble. But the proof of it is this document because you can't get into that other country anyway unless you have the passport to begin with, right? And this thing tells you that you belong to this country. Do you know that a U.S. passport in certain countries, if stolen, is worth somewhere between ten dollars and $20,000? on the black market. You can sell a passport. Now, some of you are already thinking about that debt that you have and what you're gonna do with your passport. (laughs) Don't go there, don't go there. And so lo and behold, my wife discovered who she is again because she found her passport. (laughs) Yay. When we receive from heaven, he shows us who we are when we are willing to step into agreement with what God wants to give us and he wants to give abundantly, we discover that that as we serve him, wait on him, that leads to listening to him, that leads to joy. And, And that is then meant to give away. So what is that like? What does it look like when it's given away? So I had a chance to talk to one of our our team here, Arlene, and here's what the conversation, we should have a video, here's what the conversation uh, went like. Hello, New Life family, Pastor Doug. You know, we worship a God who heals. He heals today. He wants to heal us now. And Arlene, you had, uh, you had a couple experiences, actually probably more than that, but 2023, <laughs> uh, tell us what happened last year. Well, um, at church, we're learning about healing and, and using the gifts, of the Holy Spirit. And one Sunday, um, we were praying for each other, and I went up to you, and I had um, pain in my heel, and I asked you to pray for me. The doctor had told me it was a bone spur. Okay. So uh, you prayed for me, and um, I went home, and the pain was gone, and canceled my PT, and and I was healed. So, wow. Yeah. And you didn't tell me. And I didn't tell you. <laughs> That's okay. That's you told right. me now. <laughs> yeah. I think I told you later. Yeah. I don't you know. Might have. Like weeks later. Yeah. I did tell you, yeah. And then just a few weeks ago <laughs> in uh, 2024, you had another right. experience. Right. Tell us about that. Um, you had asked us to pray for each other. Yeah. So I was praying with the person next to me and um, he asked me to breathe out. He said, just breathe out. And when I breathed out, my whole back went together. And uh, when I had walked into church, I had a lot of pain in my back. 
And I was gonna call the chiropractor and make an appointment. But after that prayer, the Lord healed my back. You said you kind of felt like it went crack, crack, crack. Yep, crack, it did. Crack. It was, it was, I was in a lot of pain that Sunday. But when um, he asked me to breathe out, I breathed out and I felt like my back went and I was healed. <laughs> but I didn't tell Doug. But you didn't tell me. I didn't. You know, um, it was one of those times when I asked you guys to put your hands on the shoulder of the person next to you. And you wonder, does God do anything? Well, here he does. And so the person that prayed for you told me that he had uh, believed he thought God was asking him to right. ask you to do that. So he took a faith step. You took a faith step. Right. God met you. And yet again, yes. God is good yes. all the time. Yes, he is. <laughs> He's very good. God wants to heal us. That's what he does. So let's join him in the work that he's doing uh, even today. Yes. Lord bless you guys. I'm going to ask you to stand with me, um, if you would. Uh, since the new year, um, every single Sunday in January and February, we've had people healed. Every single Sunday. So God, God is doing some stuff, and it's fun, and we're going we're to step into that, including, by the way, the first service. He, he did that. Uh, I was so hot, I wanted to take off my shirt, but I didn't want anyone to flee the room, so I kept my shirt on. But I was so hot because God was doing some stuff and, and touching us. So um, he's going to do some more this morning. We're going to give him thanks for that. Let's give him praise. Let's give him praise right now. Let's worship him.